friends, welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. If you've ever read about the science of viruses, from the common cold to HIV, you'll often hear that dreadful term, mutation. These bugs that make us sick, sometimes dangerously so, have a disconcerting ability to adapt to their surroundings, to turn your immune system against itself, and evolve and evolve until they find just the right key to unlock your body's defenses. But wait, what am I talking about? This COVID year has made us all virus experts, from the Delta variant to the efficacy of mRNA vaccines. So perhaps without knowing it, you've also built a solid metaphorical understanding of how Sharon Nimorovsky, our Senior Director of Cybersecurity Strategy, thinks about defending against cybercrime. As he explains to Sam Raymond, our Chief Information Security Officer in SVP, Sharon wants companies to think not just about the virus, but also the variants as they build a security strategy. In other words, it's not about defending individual weak points against attack, but anticipating how that attack could evolve, strike differently, or mutate to become even more effective. Like medication, cybersecurity solutions that can't cover an evolving hazard won't be effective for long. And vaccines? Oh yeah, he and his team have those too. Hey, Sharon, thanks for joining us today. Um, very excited to have you join a team. Uh, I think some of the audience might know that uh, your company, White Hat, recently joined EPAM as part of the big family now. Um, and it really enhanced what we could do and expand out what we really could do and, and also create provide a lot of depth to how we can help our client security. Maybe just a few minutes, can you tell us a bit about what do you guys do, why you're excited about it, and, and, and a little bit about your domain would be great. Hi, Sam. Uh, thank you. Great, great, great. I'm really happy uh, to be here and, and join this uh, amazing family that I've learned and researched uh, the last few months and now even from the inside even more excited after meeting all the amazing tech guys that are inside all the cyber geeks uh, as me so um, a bit about ourselves we are uh, eight years running company doing cyber defense but actually a bit different type of defense a different angle and, and I think the way for me to explain the angle would first to really address how crazy the world is right now, because, you know, I'm seeing incidents all the time. And you guys probably see it as well. You open the news, you see them, and, and you're not seeing small companies, right? We see huge ones all the time. And, and you're asking yourself a basic question saying, how can it be? You know, if you're an enterprise, you're probably spending tons of money, right? You're buying everything. You have guys. It, it's crazy. And still, after investing so much, you still read in the news about incidents happening. Now, if I'm looking on defenses, strategy defenses, at the last 10 years, there's a huge change. You guys probably agree with me because back then, let's say seven years, what? If you're a CISO, probably you were buying all kinds of technologies. You let the vendor deploy them. And, and then you had this half of guy looking at, you know, things if needed. You, you weren't doing anything. 
And you were just saying, okay, security technologies is, an, is enough. And then the things have shifted a bit and you started to see all these SIM socks and monitoring services also raise in enterprises, right? So on top of the technology, you also have visibilities on incidents, on events, and so on and so on. And you have guys researching it. And that was five to six years ago. So, so you told yourself back then, okay, now I'm doing better defense. But then what happened is that the amount of things you're seeing, the amount of incidents, has again grown to a place that you have no idea which of these incidents is really important and which is not. So you started seeing all kinds of SOAR, right? All kinds of automations in order to, to have less of, of incidents, of, of garbage incidents. And you, it doesn't matter what you do, you still see attacks with, that succeed, that go in, that encrypt organizations and steal data. And even though you have 100 people monitoring your network, they still go in. And I think from here, I can explain that the different perspective that we bring to the table, which is not just a line, I promise you that, is the offensive angle. Now, I know every pen tester can say he brings the offensive angle to the table, but that's different. Because if you do a penetration test, for example, to an organization and you get blocked, this is where you stop the test, right? But, but in real life, the attacker doesn't do that. They move to another angle in order to inf infiltrate. Maybe they will now try after, you know, scanning your IPs and, and seeing, okay, no vulnerabilities here. These guys are patching great, even though nobody's doing great in patching. But let's say the attacker see, okay, you're fully patched. There's no CVE, no exploit here. So they don't leave. They're moving to maybe spear phishing, right? They're moving maybe to infected URLs, maybe infected Android apps, all kinds of techniques that are available out there in order to have foothold in your network, what we call initial access. Now, if you're just doing pen tests, you can't cover all of that. You cannot cover all of these attack vectors because your probably penetration test is time-framed and maybe it's only related to regulation, but the risk is still there. And what we do different is that we constantly, behind the scenes with a lot of R&D, we build a database of all the attack techniques and the vectors they use. So now, if I'm coming to a client's network, I will probably be able to show him that thinking as an offensive guy, I will go in. Now, the problem is that if I succeed, it means that I've done it through his defense technologies and through the eyes of the SOC team he has. 
and that didn't block it. So the client asks me, okay, so, so, so what do I do now? Because I can see that I cannot block it. And the, the very amazing stuff that we bring to the table is a vaccine that we write especially to the client. Now, that, that vaccine is only a behavioral rule that we embed to the client's given technologies, if it's EDR or it might be even a Active Directory GPO rules, whatever. Now, the thing is that it is more dynamic today if we have a, a, a client and we have a list of clients, right? And tonight, all of us are going to see a new attack happening, colonial number two or number six. Our clients will reach out to ask, guys, did the attack happened in colonial number five is in your database already? Because we're afraid, you know, we're from the family of, of that sector. We, we don't know if they're going to try us out as well. So by having the research and R&D behind the scenes, the answer would be, yeah, guys, we have it. Go ahead. We, we've sent it. Try it out. And then what the client does, either with our help or by themselves, they test themselves against the incident happened to colonial number five. And when they see that actually it works, they know that they have a hole. Now, when they have a hole, they also get the vaccine that I just mentioned, and they do a rerun. Now, even if you have tons of vendors installed, how can one of them give you a vaccine for something happened last night? That is a different type of game, you know, that we bring to the table. We, we leave the offensive side. We really live there. We only pretend to be the bad guys in networks with all kinds of avatars, many languages. We have a, a war room, a nice desk, you know, covering telegrams. And today even you have the old school ICQ and IRC channels. And of course the dark net, but People already moved from the darknet, so you don't have too much data there, and so on, so on. And we collect all of that to learn about new stuff. It doesn't cover 100%, never, nobody will cover. But it really takes the defenses you have today to a much higher level of, of graduation you have, because it's dynamic. You move, you move with the, with the attacks. So I hope, you know, I've said too much here. I hope the audience understood what I'm saying, but that's it. No, not, not at all. I, I think I, I must have, we, we must have had this discussion like three or four times already. And every time I hear it, I'm, I'm nodding my head. There was no video here, but I'm nodding my head. And I, I, for the last 30 years, it's, I've been telling people almost the same thing as, but you, you put it way better than I could in a way that I, I think it's, I'm going back to martial arts again. This is you and I, we both would appreciate this and maybe a lot of the audience too. But it, it, I think most people are focusing on the katas, on the pages, on the forms, on the, on the skills, which is really important. I had a discussion uh, not too long ago with uh, somebody who wanted me to give them an advice on their security posture. And very, very talented CISO and CIO 
join me in a in a room, and I'm just curious. We only have two hours, and they were asking me, you know, so they were presenting what they have, and they were showing me they have this for DLP, they have this for M, uh, M, MDM, they have this for endpoint, they have this for the perimeter security, they have this for the UB, UABA, they have this for the CASB, they have this part for, and they were listing out all the domains, which is important. Trust me, without that, I mean, you can't be comprehensive. So all those things are important. And they were listing out all the tools they're using, and, and, and we all recognize the names. We know it's best of breeds. We know, okay, great, you got this, you got that. And really good. And, and then, and then I, I was kind of like, okay, sure, checklist, checklist. But then it stopped. <clears throat> and they said, at the end of that, and they said, so what do you think? I said, what do I think? He said, yeah, yeah, we got, we got security by layering. And I think, I think people misunderstood what security by layering really means, to your point, Hackers do daisy chain, constantly do daisy chain. They look for multiple ways. They don't just find one path and then stop it at path. Layering in this case is not just layering solutions. Layering is having every one of those paths having multiple hurdles so that it prevents them from actually having an easy way in. That's that's what you don't want to do. That the old joke is you don't have to be the fastest runner in the forest to to, to survive the bear. You just don't want to be the slowest one. And so that that's the part that I think people are are really missing. That it's really part of security. It's yes planning, yes tools, yes observation, but the defense I call it the muscle, the the, the ability to react to it and and to actually work, which is the the, the sparring, as I would call it. So yes, the pogate of form is important. The sparring is critical so that you actually know and you talk a bit about that. The actual fighting in the ring is absolutely critical. If you've never been in a ring before, it sounds like a scary thing. And I can guarantee you that, that unlike in boxing, which you can choose if you want to get in the ring or not, in the real world today for cybersecurity, you don't have a choice. They will actually come in and you're going to have to get in the ring at some point in time. The question is, are you prepared for it? Do you have the right partners for it? And, and how would you react to it? It's not about securing something 100%, but how well you can, yes, make it by yourself time as much as possible to defend against it, how well you can actually work against you know these, these attackers, but at the same time is how well you can actually defend yourself when something bad, and I say when, not if, when that happens. So I, I completely agree with you, Sharon. Maybe... As a, as a, maybe as a second topic, uh, but it's very much related. I'm just going to jump right into it because I got you on 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 this session today. Tell me a bit about ransomware. Every I can't walk into a room without people asking me about ransomware these days, and, and I try to tell them that ransomware is still based on what are the five typical type of attacks. But out of the attack, ransomware, which is extortion, is one way of how to achieve the strategic goal. So the tactical part is not a ransomware. The tactical is still breach. The tactical is still their lateral attack. The tactical is still their, their either a denial of access to the asset or theft of asset, disclosure of asset. It's still one of the five main key type of strategic attack. But but the but the uh, tactical attack, but the strategic goal from the, in this case is using that to extract money, but not once, and maybe a combination of extracting money plus reselling the asset. It's not like they can decrypt it one time and they give it back to you and they, they're not going to sell it. There was no promise there. So m- maybe tell me a bit about what do you think if, if somebody you know walked in and say, so Sharon, what, why are we seeing all these ransomware and what are we going to do about it? I think, I think ransomware is really, really a hot topic and that's a great question 
And, you know, I don't want to bore the audience by saying, I don't want to state the obvious by saying, you know, everybody knows it's a financial uh, gain here and it's all about the money. Some of it probably might be political and so on and so on. But, you know, if you see on the money flying out there and you see about all the cryptocurrencies and, and the Bitcoin allowing you to be backstage, doing tons of profit, you even see all kind of business models of, of selling ransomware as a service. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it, but I am going to tell you that, you know, I've, I've seen ransomware from many of them from two types of two angles. One of them from many incident response, we came in to help companies had a ransomware. So that means post-mortem, they're dead. They're encrypted. Nothing works. Maybe Small stuff works, but it's not the, the, the core of the business. And I've also seen ransomware in, in a proactive uh, way where clients are asking me, um, can you do a ransomware simulation? You know, I want to test my systems to see what happens if, if someone will ransom me today. So, so I see it even before it happens and after it happens. And you know what? It's the same. It's always the same. And, and the point of entrance is very, very important. Now, one thing people need to understand, you might even have a sleeping ransomware inside your network right now that's doing nothing. And that might be just seeds, seeds of attack. You know, uh, let's take, for example, SolarWinds. So we know about that incident, right? It was published, and we know there's a class inside the code that was deployed to organizations. So that's an example for C. So if clients assume, you know, that they're bulletproof, they need to think again because they might have a seed came out from space like it happened in SolarWinds. And they could never assume that kind of theory. And, of course, the world of supply chain is a killer here. Everybody knows that's a big pain. But attacks, ransomware, are all about layers again and layers and preparing your defenses according to the network, according to the what's going on out there. And, you know, I've seen ransomwares of simple emails Going through these filters and whitening and all kinds of technologies, just going in and running a macro. And that macro is running PowerShell. And that PowerShell, you know what? PowerShell is ps.exec. But the attackers knows that you have something looks at ps.exec. So they do ps2.exec. And you also have that in your Windows machine. And it's just an example. So the attackers, they know that you're going to be blocking the commodity. So they send you a macro asking you to open PowerPoint Word document. You open it and you get PS2 running. And what it does actually gives you a payload running on your workstation doing reverse shell from the Internet. And now the attacker has a shell inside the organization. And nobody knows about it. No sensor has been triggered, nothing. And they have all the time in the world because now probably it's late at night. You're sleeping. 
They know no sensor was were triggered, especially at night. And now they're starting to do all kinds of infiltrations, lateral movements in order to become administrators. And the minute you become administrator, because probably the workstation that opened your attack, your simple macro, you had a regular user. And in order for you to do ransom, to encrypt or to steal something, you need to become an administrator. You need to be a domain admin or, in other words, God mode, right? So now, after having all the time in the world, doing lateral, running all kinds of scans inside, sniffing the network to get all kind of, all kind of interesting passwords, or you know when, what my favorite is, and, and it kills me all the time, mstsc.exec. That's RDP. Right. So, so if you're inside the network, people assume that it's okay to, to save your passwords because it's, it's only internal, right? So the attacker is doing that. He's opening RDP client. And now he has a cache showing him what kind of other connections he can do. And he doesn't need a password because you have safe password checkbox. And then he connects to a different server, jumping from this workstation, and over there is the domain admin. And then hell happens on earth. You can do everything you wish. You get your persistent. I see in many, many attacks, they spread out all these persistent, different attacks in order that if you bring in a company to clean you up, they cannot cover everything. So, so when we come to a client, either to help him or either you know, to simulate him, we are walking the steps as the bad guy would walk. And if you're doing these steps and you're eliminating them before it happened, I'm not saying you're 100% safe, but that's much harder to do. And I've seen, you know what I've seen, which is crazy also? I've seen double ransomwares. I see a ransomware. You, uh, as an attacker, you encrypt files. And then someone else goes inside and encrypts the encryption. And now when you're paying money to get the key to unlock your data, you're just unlocking one phase. And the client has no idea. And one attacker has no idea about the second attacker. And they all, you know, benefit from it and, and get money. And the last thing I want to say about ransomware is that if you think you can do very good backups, and you know what, even if it's disconnected, because you don't want to encrypt your backups, even you have good backups, and you have not uncovered the point of entrance, there is no point on recovering your data. Because there's no doubt it will happen again. And if it didn't do something in your mind to switch the way you look at things, you know, we cannot help here. But that's a, a crazy situation happening right now. And I hope, you know, people will do their simulation. Just test yourself. Where's the right. problem? Right. I I. I I, I agree with you. It's a multifaceted problem, and I and I. The only good news, to be honest with you, is I used to have to force people 
to, to talk about security. I think the, the good news now is everybody's asking about it. So the fact that people are asking about it, I think that's a good sign. But you're completely right that, that, that we need to rethink about how we look at security. We can't just use the old way. What you said about just back it up and restore, that mentality is, is such a funny uh, it, it backup is critical. It's absolutely critical, and in fact, it's you know you need to secure your backup. It's it's one of the most common mistakes that people make. But at the same time, if you don't have an infrastructure or a section of your environment that you can you can actually restore back on or restore it and then recover to a strong state, it's pointless completely. Like you said, so I, I think simple answers is not so good for us anymore. So I I think. Maybe just a couple of things on a high level that since we're on this topic, you know, make sure you have your backup. Sure. Still that make sure that you actually get some help because you need external help for this. This is not something you really just want to do on your own. When I say external help, including professionals like Sharon and other people in industry, but also include government agency. Make sure that you work. These are legal matters, as you all understand. So make sure you work with the agencies to help you on it. On top of that. Understand it. It will happen. Do your tabletop exercise. Do your simulation. It will happen. Get your executive to get in a mindset that when it happens, it's not the time to panic. And even if you want to, trust me, that's not the time to panic. So work with it. Face it. And um, and I think there is no easy answer. I agree with you, Sharon. But we can go on and maybe we can come back. I, I have at least a few more topics, if not more. Um, to talk about, including maybe just a plug for next time when we talk. We'd love to talk to you about a bit about critical infrastructure and, and for example, like you know the, the supply chain type of attack and and, and pipeline um, situation we have with the critical infrastructure. Maybe we could have another session or a couple other sessions to talk about that as well. Would that be all right sure. with you, Sharon? Yeah, 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 sure. By the way, I would add a very nice tip that that regarding ransomware that I'm seeing all the time. Web shells, web shells, web shells. That's the new game in the neighborhood. And I mean that if you have upload mechanisms in your organizations, either you allow to upload a CV or some kind of forms of registrations, the bad guys use it to upload a code that will take control over your server. And it's very easy to solve it. It's, it's no rocket science there, but I'm seeing it all the time. And people forget that also the application side is very uh, important. So just, you know, a tip because I see it all Really the good advice. And I joke about it, but I, I, I mean, it. I actually started a presentation recently with uh, uh, four things. Uh, PowerShell, MS Build, GCC. And, and that was my only slide. And I said, you know, focus on these three things. You'll be in much better shape. And everybody started laughing because we're all geeks in there. But we still put <laughs> in development environment. We still put build environment. We still put on machines that does not do any build whatsoever. Why are we doing this? But anyway, that's a whole different conversation we just talked about is. here. <laughs> anyway, so good to have you. Um, and uh, let, let's almost turn this into a series. I can, I can almost imagine we, got, we could do this every week. All right. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. 
Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and Sharon Numerovsky for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to stock up on masks. 